Welcome to season two of How to Scale, the podcast by Frog Capital focused on helping software companies successfully scale up. In season one, we covered a range of topics with our group of operating partners who have learned from years of experience the different challenges all companies face on their way to scale. This is part of Frog's scale-up methodology, which brings together insights and tools to help improve companies' probability of reaching sustainable profitability. My name is Jens Düring. I'm one of the senior partners at Frog Capital. We invest in purpose-driven European software companies in the scale-up phase. In season two, myself and my colleagues are interviewing seasoned professionals in our network who share our passion for scaling purpose-driven software companies in Europe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Frog podcast. Um, absolutely delighted today to be with Dale Murray, uh, who has a fantastic and quite unique background to be talking about a really interesting subject, which is how do entrepreneurs, as they develop their businesses, work really effectively with boards at board level, and how do they mentor and coach their own senior teams to also prove effective uh, working at board at board level? Welcome, Dale, and uh, maybe you can kick off by telling us a little bit about your your journey. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Um, my journey. Well, I, I guess what's relevant to this is that, as you said, I was an entrepreneur. So I started a company 20-odd years ago now, which was um, Amiga Logic, and that was a software business. We helped the mobile phone companies in the UK launch um, electronic top-ups for prepay phones in the mobile space. Remember it well, yeah. Do you? Yes. <laughs> it was, we were very lucky because it was right at the time when prepay handsets had just been launched, but there was no easy way to, to recharge the, the phone with airtime credit with top-ups. So the UK networks wanted to work with various organizations to, to get that uh, more seamless and, mm. and easier for the customer. So we were lucky enough that we won some licenses with the mobile phone networks. And then over the course of the next oh, three, four years or so, we built the business from a standing start, of course, to about, I think it was almost half a billion of um, transaction value, Great. which we took a nice margin on. So it was good. And, uh, and then eventually sold it in a couple of transactions, sold it to a private company in the UK and then sold it to First Data Corporation uh, yep. in the US. And I was uh, CEO um, to the end. So we did that. Um, I, I did that. And then progressively after that began to invest in some startup companies, mm. uh, get on boards alongside the investment. And I quite enjoyed that work, mm. having seen the board at my company. And then now being on the other side of the table. Yeah. I now serve on six boards. Yep. Uh, the largest one by revenue, just over a billion sterling in revenue, is Zero, the uh, cloud accounting company. We have over four million companies around the globe that use our software. Absolutely amazing story. Yeah. Such a great story. Mm. It's really high growth. I've been on that board five and a half years. It's listed. Mm. It's listed in Australia, mm -hmm. headquartered in New Zealand. We have almost a million subscribers here in the UK. So mm. UK is a super important market. But yes, very high growth. Mm -hmm. Fantastic business. Another great one is uh, Lightspeed Commerce based in Montreal, listed mm -hmm. on the Toronto Stock Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange. That's another very, very fast uh, growing business as well, another billion dollar revenue business, mm -hmm. all the way through to smaller companies. Mm -hmm. So I've got quite a mix, um, some private companies for public companies. But um, yes, that's, that's great. I mean, now. it's um, well, I mean, fascinating um, diversity and, and variety. So, uh, and, and as I said right at the beginning, really interesting in terms of what um, we're going to talk about today. Uh, so, 
I mean, for me, what's fascinating is you, you've lived that journey um, as the entrepreneurial growth story, uh, which is really tough, as we, as we all know. And then you're someone who's really passionate about boards and how they can be relevant to management teams and supportive whilst, whilst also playing a really key role in the ecosystem, both with private companies and, and quoted companies. So, um, I mean, maybe we just kick off with a broad subject. I mean, how, how do you feel around what the role of a board is? How should an entrepreneur who might be somewhat sceptical around what a board's going to provide them, how should they be thinking about it? I think that if the ambition of the, the founders and the CEO is to build a large business, you know, a business with high growth and you know, serving its market really well and employing lots of people and doing lots of good in the community, then at some point a board becomes inevitable. And there's many reasons for that. The, one is just good governance, that a board is just really good there to make sure that you're doing what you should do, that you've got your monthly management accounts and you've got a budgeting process and you've got your operating plan all, all set up each year, that you're making sure that you're actually you know, looking after your staff well and the community well and at filing your statutory accounts on time, all of these mm. things. But that's just, the, that's just the foundational reasons why a board might be important. What's more important, I think, is that a board that serves you well should be there to support you in all of your endeavors. And as we know in building the business, there's so much to do in a day. You might have people issues, you might have competitive threats, you might have a pricing issue blow up, the product might fall over. You know, all sorts of things happen all the time. And your board should be there helping you spot where that might those threats might be coming in. So they should be very, very good at, at looking ahead and helping you sense where these things, these weaknesses might arise. They can be very, very good also at sense checking any ideas you have, mm. particularly, uh, you know, it, well, actually everything, sales, go to market mm. motions, uh, the marketing, the product, everything. They, the, a board, a, a skilled board gets very, very good at looking mm. across all the different businesses they work with and then helping you navigate the the difficult uh, work of actually leading yeah. these, these scale-up companies. Absolutely. And so, so what you're saying really is around a, a real passion that boards are a positive force, mm. not just a pure kind of um, checks and balances piece. Yeah. Um, so if we take, take the conversation now then maybe to more tactical level, because um, really interesting to hear your views around, okay, I've got a board today. Um, I'm interacting with my, my board. What can I learn from an experienced non-exec director in terms of how as a leader uh, in a management team, I should be thinking about what, what is the board? How can I interact with it? What's, the, what's my learnings if things aren't going well? What can I do to improve, et cetera? Talk, talk a bit about that. I think there's uh, many things that you can do. And of course, every board director is different. They are individuals as well, just as you are. I think it's really helpful to think about what each board member can offer you. It's almost like uh, understanding, well, this person's going to be very, very helpful with the finances and cash flow management and maybe got some connections with the banking industry or what have you, or whatever, or, or the VC industry and can help me with that. And this other person has a background in marketing and deeply understands how to, how to present my product or service. So I, I would think about what each board director as an independent individual person can add to mm -hmm. your organization. And I'd be quite tactical then. I think what works well is when a relationship is formed outside of the boardroom with each board member. So for example, just asking to have that 
you know, a catch up over coffee or Zoom or what have you, getting to know the board director, listen, you know, hear their story, hear the journey that they've been on and the companies that they've worked with to get a deeper understanding of how they might be able to help you. Mm. Invest a little bit in, in each of those people so that you can begin to build up some trust. So there's some things that you can do there. I think uh, on, on that, by the way, I think which is so freaking simple, it's amazing, it just doesn't get done. Um, and then the other piece I think is really interesting is people tend to do it at the beginning of the relationship. I'm hiring Dale onto my board. Of course, I'm going to go for coffee and dinner with Dale and get to know you, etc. But it quickly tails off. And I think um, you can get into a situation where you have been on a board and managing a board as a CEO or senior team and, um, and you haven't put any time in on the social side of things. Mm. So it's, it's almost even more important two, three years down the line when you've gone through the um, sort of honeymoon period uh, and you're into activity and, and more contentious issues and keeping that investment into the personal relationships is really important. I completely agree. I think the relationship between the directors and the CEO changes over time. It evolves just as the company evolves. And if you don't continuously invest in that relationship and that open conversation that, that you can have in those moments, mm. then it can fray and it can fray really quickly. So don't assume that, yes, you put in a bit of time in the first month or two and in yeah. three years that person's still got your back. They may not. Got it. Okay. Uh, other, other themes and learnings you've had? I think looking particularly at the board uh, setting itself, it's quite interesting when you look at the way that different executives and CEOs front up to a board. So sometimes you get a CEO or, or a C-suite who just want to give you a whole lot of information and try and convince you that they are right across uh, everything and you get a lot of data, a lot of information, lots of graphs, uh, all of which can be useful if it's tied to insights or if, it's, if it drives towards recommendations for action. So if you've got a board pack that's being presented and it's rich with data, but your board is still looking a bit lost, then go back and think about why that might be. I, I never start with the data. I always try and get people to start with thinking, what question am I trying to answer this month or this week? What yeah. problem am I trying to solve? If you can come to the board, if you're the CEO and you can come to the board each time with two or three really big questions, you know, one thing that's keeping you awake at night and two things you know are just problematic and you really have to still get a grip of, you know, table that with the board. Say, yes, of course, I'll go through the monthly management accounts with you and I'll go through the, you know, all the bits and pieces that you might normally do on a normal cadence of board cycles. But really what I want to spend some time on is these two big issues. This is what's really worrying me. I think that's a much more productive way for the board to contribute. And then by all means, have your slides and your research and your information and what have you. Not too many. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had hundreds of pages of board packs presented to me um, to be read at some time sometimes. And you just get swamped as a board mm. member and you're trying to go through everything, aren't you? And trying to find out well, what are they really trying to tell me? How can I really yeah. help here? So be, be foot forward you know, with your board, direct them to where you think you need the most help. It's almost like being the best CEOs, even the ones of the largest companies, are the ones that show a little bit of vulnerability. We know that uh, ev not every CEO is going to know the answer mm -hmm. to everything. In fact, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. It really is. Even Elon Musk doesn't know the answer mm -hmm. to everything. So by coming to your board and uh, being 
open yeah. with the issues. That's really, really helpful. Yeah. I think another thing, Mike, is with mature executives and CEOs, they listen. They genuinely listen. And they don't just listen and then go, yes, but, <laughs> and then come back to their own point of view. They really listen to what the directors are asking. You know, really thinking, why are they asking that question? Mm. Like, can that take me off on a different question? What's, what's, where's the curiosity coming from here? What am I missing? What are we missing? How can we think about this differently? Mm. And they're thoughtful. The best CEOs are thoughtful. Mm. They don't have to know the answer in the moment. Sometimes the best CEOs will go, well, I, I hear what you're saying and I, 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 we've had a great conversation about this. I need to go away and think about it. I need to ponder some more. Mm. I need to talk to the team. Never feel as a CEO in that board meeting that you have to answer the question right now. Yeah. And don't let yourself get in a position where you're forced into answering a yeah. question that you really don't know the answer yeah. to. But there's some things there, I think. Which yeah, and then some really big underlying themes around um, trust mm. and respect um, that can slide off in the wrong direction. And sometimes, um, I guess, leads to, or does it? Do you feel lead to some of the behavior that you you were just suggesting is not the right? So whether it be defensiveness or too much data or... Yeah. Um, when trust goes in a board, it, it's awful. It's mm. really awful. And it almost always uh, just breaks the board apart. Mm. Almost always the board directors coalesce as one mm -hmm. and then the management team coalesce mm. on the other side. Mm. And that's really very, very tricky. Mm. Uh, so how can how can particularly entrepreneurs and, and and senior management team see that early get to address it what what ideas have you got for people i think the things that help are the regular cadence of non-meeting information needs to come forward so in the if you have a monthly board meeting for example midway through just send an email religiously each month mm. no more than four or five bullet points this is what's happening this is on my mind just general business performance you know just really just keep the whole board informed mm -hmm. i think that just helps to keep just to make sure that everybody is aligned with what you're working towards and it keeps people fresh, you know, with, with what's happening. Then when you get to the board uh, meeting, you've delivered all the papers. I think what's really important is that the CEO spends some time just with the board themselves, just the CEO, mm -hmm. no other executives, nobody, mm -hmm. not even another founder. And they spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes just, again, just saying, this is really what's on my mind. This is mm -hmm. what I want from this meeting. It builds a lot of trust because mm. that CEO is uh, is really being the leader in that moment. They're, mm. they're saying, I'm leading this company. I'm responsible for the performance, and this is what I need. Of everything. Holistic. Of everything. Yeah. Very holistic. Absolutely. Mm. That really helps. Yeah. I think then uh, a strong CEO, uh, when they begin to see that, that part, you know, members of their team who are attending the board are are not acting in a way that they might want. Maybe they are, um, maybe they're shifting in their opinion about something. Maybe they're not answering clearly, mm -hmm. or maybe they're answering things when they shouldn't be. You know, <laughs> as a CEO, you'll see this, and I and I think it's the CEO's job to very carefully and constructively speak to the C-suite afterwards and try to to you know lift their game mm -hmm. a bit as well. I think that trust is built mm -hmm. when. Um, when you 
are very clear about what the objectives are for your company and you, it's articulated very clearly. Mm. It's shared, all the information about the performance is shared openly with the board. Nothing's held back from the board and you don't treat any particular board member any differently from the other. Mm -hmm. So don't mm. get into a situation where you've got information asymmetry on the board. That's yep. a nightmare. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a quick route to mm. a complete breakdown of trust between the board and management. I think the other thing though, Mike, is the chair. Mm -hmm. I think the chair is critical in acting as that bridge between management and the board. That's the one person that should really be mm. working very closely with the CEO to just to check in constantly, make sure the, make sure the CEO understands mm. if the board are feeling a little bit unsettled about something. The chair can also act as uh, a bit of a filter for the CEO, because sometimes the board comes up with tons and tons of yeah. ideas or questions. Yeah. Poor management team sometimes gets inundated with questions. Well, I've just read this latest AI article, yeah. or I'm, you know, thinking about about changing from AWS or whatever. And all these questions come in, and it's too much sometimes mm. for the management, mm. and it, it distracts from what the CEO is wanting to do. So the chair can act as a filter. That can help as well. Hundred percent agree. I mean, that's a really critical issue and we've done a bunch of other podcasts on 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 that kind of theme because get a great chair and you, you've you've solved a lot of these issues and there will be trust issues and so hitting them early um what one of the areas i find <clears throat> really interesting is sometimes trust starts to creak when the the news flow is is only good news Mm. So the feeling that you were alluding to around, um, mm. which I guess is defensiveness or some sort of feeling that's leading the management team CEO to just present good stuff all the time and effectively a sales pitch. And it's absolutely amazing if they balance that with, and I, I love a kind of summary of um, what's gone well, what's not going so well this quarter. And it just diffuses a lot of sort of anxiety from people refer the way to say right here's a team that can acknowledge stuff that's not going so well Absolutely. and therefore you feel like you know what's not going so well because it's it's visible yeah I, I wholeheartedly mm. agree and and that helps on so many levels and it can also if you if you also share with your board where you've had issues in the business that you've solved maybe a big partnership relationship or a customer issue or product or whatever it might be but if you explain to them look, this is where we got it wrong and this is what we did in response. And this is how we feel better about it now. Do you, are you happy with that? Is there anything else that we, we that you think that we could, we could have done? So sharing those moments with the with the board as well, it that builds deep trust, and it shows the board that the management team are growing and learning and thinking. Mm. And if they see all of those attributes, they're much more likely to back you when you've got the next big idea that you want to table that you mm. that you want sign off for or investment for or whatever it might be yeah yeah and the, the and one of the last things on my mind around cuz just thinking around boards have their own kind of culture good or bad and they, they they change as you described and it's kind of a team that hasn't chosen itself in a way a lot of the time you know sometimes it will have so you might have chosen dale to join the board because she's bringing particular expertise but you might have investors who've got particular people and they might change etc um, when you think about the culture of a team the management team and the culture of the company um, how should management teams be thinking okay shouldn't that culture and values be replicated in the board 
um, where some people suddenly change. They suddenly think, oh, the board's something different. No, no, no. The values. I think that the values is crucial, mm. and I think the values that the management team hold should also be represented mm. in the values of the board. Mm. And actually, if you don't, if you don't have similar values, mm. that friction is what causes enormous problems. And it's not just stated values; it's the values that are exemplified. Mm. The behaviours. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So, how often have you had? You know, you go into an office and you'll see some big value painted on the wall, integrity or something. Mm. And then you're in your first board meeting as a board director, and an executive will say something, and you'll think, "Ooh, okay, mm. that's interesting," because <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're misaligned slightly with the value that was painted on the wall outside. Yeah. So yeah. that's where it gets interesting, and, and it's actually quite hard for a board to really understand. If the values are being lived in the company, it's very, very hard. <clears throat> On big companies, of course, you have things like whistleblower mm. um, policies and what have you, and those whistleblowing incidents come straight through mm. to the board. They don't go to the CEO. Mm. So you have some things which give uh, boards a bit of a sense check. You know, good boards will spend time, or board directors will spend time walking around the company or getting to know, even just going to a coffee, actually. You go in, you know, through yeah. the office and you go <laughs> to get a cup of coffee and you chat to a couple of people, that tells you quite a bit. Mm. But back to the boardroom, having that common view on values. So you all understand where you are in terms of the environment, for example, mm. or climate change, where mm. you are in terms of, you know, a rush for profit. Are you absolutely going to be so driven by mm. the profit motive? That you'll do almost anything to get there. Mm -hmm. Now, thinking really carefully about what that means. Yeah, the implications. The implications, mm. absolutely. And and maybe that is what you are as a company, and that's fine. Mm. And as a board and executive, you have thought through the implications of that yeah. intention, and you you're happy with that. That's good, mm. as long as you're aligned. And I think what's really interesting from your own background, because you didn't have a great experience with your board when you were when you were scaling your company. So tell us a little bit about that. I had a mixed experience. I mm. certainly had uh, a couple of people on my board who were good and helpful. Mm. Uh, and I had a couple who were not. Mm. Uh, I had all of my board actually were angel investors. So they were representing their own interests. They mm. were shareholders and they were directors. And I was only in my 20s and I had thought <laughs> naively that everybody that worked or had anything to do with my company was there to help me and support the management team and support the growth of this business. But as it turned out, actually, there were a couple of bad actors that were on my board who definitely had their own motivations and their own intentions. And Mike, what happened was, um, it, it didn't happen immediately, it played out over quite some time. But at some point, just before my company actually became profitable, um, a little bit beforehand, we were very low on cash, very, very low, and we didn't want to do another fundraising round. And um, we thought that was the appropriate thing to do. The board mm -hmm. thought it was fine. But a couple of people on the board thought that that might be a moment where they could push the company into liquidation or receivership mm -hmm. or whatever, some kind of formal structure, mm -hmm. and then buy the company you know, off the receiver mm -hmm. or what have you, you know, wiping out the founders. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that played out. Mm -hmm. And it was quite staggering to me when that actually happened because I had assumed that people had good intent. Mm. And of course, 
and a some don't. legal fiduciary duty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Board directors, well, yeah, board directors under the law should be acting in the best interests of mm. the company. Mm. So this can be quite hard, I think, sometimes for board directors who are investor directors. They're yeah. acting on behalf of their fund or on behalf of their own interests. Mm -hmm. You know, technically, they really should be acting in the best interests of the company, the shareholders, the staff, you know, the customers, everybody, everybody that's associated with that company. Mm. But if they have their own motivation, sometimes that becomes, um, you know, that becomes their dominant force. Yeah, I think it's a really great story to hear, even though it's super uncomfortable um, uh, and therefore also not resulted in someone like yourself saying to hell with boards. That's the last thing you want, because um, you can imagine a lot of people having the experience you had and saying, actually, it's about getting the right board, the right culture, the right people around you, um, which I think is certainly from Frog's point of view, um, a really important step for a business. Because as, as you started, you, you, you've got a real passion that boards are a, a, a part of a stepping stone to a very, very successful, successful business. Just reflecting on my, my experience of boards, it's kind of interesting that it's, again, it's sort of so obvious that no one does it, but there's, there's rarely a discussion of the board to really ensure that there's, a, there's an alignment. And I think for entrepreneurs who do, particularly purpose-led entrepreneurs, which is, which is our field, who think a lot about that in terms of culture and, and values and behaviours, etc., um, it, it, there needs to be a little bit of work to say, right, okay, how do you, how do you ensure that encompasses your board and not that your board's culture is dominated by your chairperson or maybe some investors who might be dominant on that board, but you actually educate them to say, no, this is the way we work in our business and we expect you to work, work the same way. That's right. I do think that as as you scale up and you build that board mm. and decide that now's the right moment to get to get that board working for you, as you start to place people into those seats, you have to do a lot of reference taking mm. and you have to make as many phone calls as you can to people who know people who know that person who have worked with that person, not just work that person in the happy times, yeah. but also work with that person in the stressful times. Yeah. I would you know, use my LinkedIn network or whatever to, to do that myself and really find my way through mm. to people that know that person. Mm. Because we all have you know, glossy CVs and nice social media presences or what have you. And we can, anyone can sit and have a coffee for an hour and present as a relatively sane, normal, good, articulate person. And then at a board, within the first six months, probably the first three months, something's going to happen. You're going to have a crisis. And in that moment, that person's going to act differently. And you totally. won't, yeah, you won't probably find that out in your yeah. interviewing. Yeah. But the referencing that will help you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's good to do that, I think. And I've found my, I've found that I've actually stopped bringing board directors into boards mm. as a result of referencing. Most, pe right. most people go, oh no, the reference is the last thing. It's fine. You Different know. situation. No, yeah. I mean, your, your big theme is it's a, it's a long-term marriage. You know, you're taking on whether, whether, it's, whether it's the investor and the investor director is coming with that person, but it's a really important role. It sets a whole set of culture, expertise, part of that kind of key team, which is, um, yeah. which is why it's such an important subject. So, Dale, I'm really delighted we could get that time today. Um, I thought it was a fascinating chat and um, maybe look forward to seeing you another time and doing another one. Very good, Mike. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening. We welcome all feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for us to cover in future episodes. So please email howtoscale at frogcapital.com. And finally, to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. Proc invests in purpose-driven European software scale-ups, making a positive impact on society. We look for businesses who have reached product market fit and are generating over 3 million euros of annual recurring revenue, what we see as a characteristic of the scale-up phase. It's a stage where businesses are continuing the path of positive growth, a purpose-driven route to sustainability and profitability. Our own purpose is to help scale the most exciting purpose-driven software companies in Europe. We do this with both Capital and our in-house team of operating partners who work closely with all the companies we invest in to overcome the inevitable challenges scale-ups face.